everybody, and welcome to Dying with the Divine. I'm your host, Ashley, and together we'll be exploring the magical, the mystical, and everything in between. On today's episode, we're going to talk a lot about activism, and then we're going to talk a lot about a guy who has lots of cool magic in his pockets. Okay, so I hope everyone's having a great day, and if not, I hope it gets better soon. So today we have a fantastic guest. We have Maria Minnis, and Maria is a Black, Jewish, queer, and autistic tarot reader of 20-plus years who teaches people about blending their their spirituality with magic, liberation work, and eroticism in their everyday lives. She believes that the end result of all magic should be to cultivate a more equitable and empathetic planet. Maria, how are you? I'm doing so well. I am a little bit tired, but overall... I am feeling blessed and peaceful and at ease and so damn happy to be here with you today. (laughs) Wonderful. I am additionally a little tired, so we're going to have a very nice, calm conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Yes, because I feel you. I I get it. So the first question I wanted to ask, because I ask everybody the same, how did you get to this point in your spirituality? How did you start with all of that yeah i was just talking to somebody earlier someone asked like when did you become a witch and Mm. i was like "Uh," and i just (laughs) got back to it and i was like i think i've always been a witch i think i have always been using intentions and connections with nature i've always been in in tune with my intuition i was a weird freaking kid yes yeah, you get it. You get it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just feel like I've always been a very intentional, intuitive person. And I think there are plenty of definitions of whatever constitutes which or what my spirituality looks like. But I have come to this point through a lot of exploration and learning. I definitely have had different phases where, you know, different belief systems matched who I was at the time and what I needed at the time. And Mm -hmm. even though I may not necessarily believe those things anymore, I have walked away from every spiritual experience with something that has made me a better and more ethically aligned person. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly the goal of my spirituality is to just increase equity and empathy across the planet. And if I can do that in any small sort of way, then hell yeah, I'll, I'll call myself a witch. If that's what being a witch is, making change, yeah. I guess that's what I am. That's awesome. That's so cool. I wanted to ask you specifically about your work with... So, okay, first you talk about... now. This is me not knowing things well, so I'll ask you if it's okay to explain something. So when you say liberation work, what exactly do you mean by that phrase? Just because it's not a phrase that I'm like familiar with. So yeah. yeah. Thank you for asking. It's actually a term I use a lot. And mm-hmm. now I'm just realizing maybe it would be helpful for me to explicitly explain what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think liberation work has has multiple layers, right? Okay. We are liberating. I want to help people liberate themselves from internal stuck narratives, internal biases, 
lead them to places where they can heal and work on their trauma. I'm not a medical professional. I can help give people the confidence and, and the direction to take care of themselves the best they can. I definitely think liberation work also has the level of interpersonal relationships somewhere involved in it. Like, how do we interact with the people we see every day? And how can we make those interactions more spacious and less prescribed and in service of a more ideal future? Not necessarily saying that like every conversation has to be about ending police brutality, but mm -hmm. how can your presence make a difference in whatever space you are in? Mm -hmm. And beyond that, I think there's this collective liberation, which I think is what a lot of people associate with liberation work, like ending structural racism and mm -hmm. this and that. But I say liberation work because it's work. And I mean that in the everyday sense. I My magic is all about bringing your intention into your everyday it's not something that happens at the full moon and the new moon. It's happening mm -hmm. every single day. My, my friend Angela Mary Magic says everything's a spell. And mm -hmm. I believe that so wholeheartedly. And so I think if we can focus on, yes, we want to approach these big collective issues, but it's going to take a lot of micro interactions, a lot of healing within ourselves and collect or group healing with other people, it's going to take a lot of everyday efforts to create large scale change. And so mm -hmm. when I say liberation work, the everyday little decisions that you make, even just where you choose to shop, um, those things that are feeding into a more liberated planet where people can have more opportunities to choose to thrive. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love that. Thank you. That was a wonderful explanation. I totally understand. And I really love how you were talking about even, even in the smallest sense. First of all, I love that what your friend says, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Like every little thing can be a spell or be magic. Because okay. even, and even beyond, even beyond activism or like you said, challenging, getting into these big issues, the small interactions you have with people every day can change people. I can think of interactions I've had with people that changed my mind about something, that made me think differently about something, and then in turn, helped me become a better person. So, yes. yeah, that's so important. And it doesn't take a lot sometimes for all of us. It's a chain reaction, right? You, you explaining mm -hmm. liberation work to me. Now I'll be able to explain it to somebody else so that they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They can explain it. It's a big thing, which is so helpful to everybody. And I, there was something else you said. Oh, you said so many good things. Sorry, it flew out of my mind. It <laughs> but, oh, I remember. Okay, and then also, I always, I've been saying this for a while, but I believe that any type of spiritual path that anybody takes, even even like a humanist path, anything that involves whatever, that is, it's supposed to make you feel good. It's supposed to make you feel free. 
if uh-huh. if something that you're practicing, <laughs> I am, listeners, I am shaking my fist in the air and nodding emphatically right now. Everything <laughs> <laughs> is supposed to make you feel better if if somebody practices, and it doesn't matter what you practice. And what I think might be restrict- restrictive to some people, they say, "No, this makes me feel good. Right, uh-huh. I'm happy for you." But it just matters for the individual. Whatever you practice should make you feel better, should make you be able to face difficult things. Obviously, it takes time and whatever process you need, that's fine. But it should be able to make you face these things without feeling fear of retribution from your god or goddess or whatever. You shouldn't feel nervous. You should be able to approach it with, okay, this is what's happening to me and I'm coming to my spiritual place for comfort and for love and for acceptance. Yes. Yes. And everything you're saying too, and we're going to talk about your book in a second, but you doing work and helping people with that. Well, like you said, you're not a therapist, but I found in so many cases that people working with tarot, it's such a good supplement for them. Maybe they're already in a place where they are able to see a therapist or they're taking medication or whatever the case may be. But then the tarot gives them some control too. They can write their thoughts about it. They can see, and if somebody's reading for them, they can relate. And I find it such a good supplement if somebody's interested in that to any type of trauma work and different things like that. It it just seems like it really helps people. Absolutely. I think that what you said about like feeling more free and feeling better, I think Those are things that we can really take with us because a lot of the work that we do to unlearn and unravel the things that are fixed inside of ourselves feels hard. A lot of those things feel hard and they might not feel good sometimes, Mm -hmm. but do you feel like a better person for it? Yeah. That's the question we want to ask. And So yes, like sometimes structures for people like me make me feel safe and free to go outside those bounds as long as I have that structure to fall back upon. For some people, it's more amorphous and that's the magic of magic. Like it's it's not a prescription. It's not a one size fits all thing. And I definitely, I, I just really relate to what you said. And I'm glad you said that it makes... It's supposed to make you feel better, but not not necessarily like pristine or happy. But yes, and I, I agree with you. I do think that tarot is a helpful supplement to a lot of the other personal work that people do on themselves, notably around the power of trusting your intuition. Mm-hmm. There is something to be said about walking into the world or excuse me, venturing out into the world and feeling like you know yourself and trust your reactions to things. And you feel, I don't want to say in control because that sounds so like hierarchical, but you definitely like, Tarot for me, it's it's helped me build this muscle of intuition, which has taught me to s- confront difficult feelings and be like, no, I'm going to sit with these and I'm going to deal with them because something in my mind is telling me it's time. 
And no matter what messaging social media or celebrities or this whole system has for us, no one can take away your intuition. It's an inherent power that you have. And I try to encourage people to work with that and trust that. And that's why my readings are often so collaborative because it's it's not just my intuition that matters. It's your intuition that matters. So yeah, I do agree with you. Let's let's aim for our, our magic to help us feel freer. Yeah. Yes. 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 That's so good. And I think and you bring up another point that I feel the more I meet people and people who are like you who have really dug deep into these subjects and either they've written books or they do lots of blog posts or whatever the case may be about it. I'm happy to see less of a lot of spiritual bypassing that I feel like a lot of people get caught up in. And Mm -hmm. I feel that I've seen it where people will start doing something spiritually related, whatever it is, and they'll say, well, I don't feel better yet. And and the thing is, when I went through a big spiritual awakening in myself, I felt like shit, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. I was really sad. What just like I, I had to really confront a lot of things that I thought I was fine with, and I found out I was not fine with those things at all. And it was a lot of kind of reckoning with a lot of those things. So this is why I always tell people too: once you get on a path and you're like, "I'm going to do this and that," just my just in, again intuition is very important. You need to listen to yourself. Because don't take yourself and be like, I have to be happy. Because those things that are nagging at you that maybe are already bothering you are just going to bother you more. And at some point, when the person is ready, you have to deal with that. And it's not a comfortable space. And I feel like there's a lot of messaging out in the world that's, oh, no, you do this. Everything's going to be great after that. Everything's going to be perfect. First of all, we all know nothing will ever be perfect. We're always going to have struggles and whatnot. And that's fine. Nobody, nothing's meant to be perfect, but also just because somebody doesn't feel good immediately does not mean, and then I think people don't feel good immediately and then they feel like they failed. They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. my spiritual journey must be over because I'm doing so bad. No, 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 honey. Like (laughs) I I will speak if you don't mind. I'd love to speak to an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, So last year, 2022 was my tower year Mm. and I ended up in a really shitty situation where I had left my ex-partner my abusive ex-partner of Mm. nine years and that was hard there was a whole big fucking court case Mm. I didn't feel like anyone believed me I had to get medically examined Mm. multiple times and that was painful I had to retell my story Mm-hmm. over and over again and I was just like okay tower year is here mm-hmm. I feel like shit I'm crying all the time I'm not taking very good care of myself and mind you I wasn't doing readings at that time I don't think mm-hmm. that's responsible mm-hmm. um, but I continued my daily practice my like morning practice and It required a lot of trust that things, the waters would feel calm again one day. And no, I didn't feel better when I was deep in that work. Mm -hmm. But looking back, I needed to do all of that. And Mm -hmm. intuition helps us tend to our 
emotions and not just accept them as they are, but to inquire about them. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of inquiry and it ended up being the second half that ended up being the best year ever. Mm-hmm. But that was a really tough time for me. And I'm somebody who magic is so integral to all of my life that for me to feel so hopeless and still do still have the I think journaling every day is a spell like Mm -hmm. I held on to that I lit candles and such and I don't I don't know if I felt like I was particularly strong or magical but I did know that in the past my magic has worked and I'm going to trust that it can work again. It might not turn out the way that I want it to, mm-hmm. but I'm a participant in how my story plays out, not the other. Like, the mm-hmm. world isn't telling me what my story is. Yeah. I get to tell you what my story is. Yes. And that's what magic has brought back to me is the right to craft my life in a way that supports me and the world around me in benevolent ways. Mm-hmm. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Of course. Yes. yes. And that, oh, that, that, oh, I feel you on that. Like, there's sometimes when anybody is going through something really difficult. And I know when, like, for me, it's been times when I've been, like, in a very deep, like, situational depression state. And I'm like, okay, it's good. I can shower about it. But that's about all I can right. do. You know? <laughs> if you get to showering, oh, you're good. I know. I'm like, I might only eat a banana because um, my stomach hurts. But I showered and I can sit back down. I'm like, all right, maybe tomorrow I'll be able to shower and take the garbage out. <laughs> right, right, Just right. You. <laughs> Anybody in a situation... Where you're like, this is so bad. This is so, so bad. I'm Like you said, you weren't able to do exactly all your practices that maybe you wanted to do for yourself. And then, you know what? If you're in that situation, that's just the situation you're in. That's okay. Right. It's, it's okay. Like, just if you can. I know it's hard. I'm speaking to anybody who's doing it. I know it's hard. But if you can, just reach somewhere in the back of your mind and be like, you know what? Eventually, I'm going to be able to do a little bit more. If you can even keep that belief alive. It'll help a little bit if you can. I know it sucks when you're crying. You can't think that. That's okay. Yeah. 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 I totally understand and can relate and want to bring us back to the point that you said about magic making us feel freer. If your like magical practice, one thing that I ran into that I want everyone listening to watch out for, I really gave myself a lot of shit for not keeping track with my morning practice the way mm-hmm. that I wanted to. I was like, I have this 10-step plan. I wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I do this on, and yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, at, see, at 5.30 p.m., I am asleep. Yeah. But <laughs> I was like, well, well, I'm asleep. That. At any point. That's great. <laughs> How did I give myself so much shit? I was like, I... Mm. I can't pull a card. The card that I pulled a month ago is still resonating with me. Mm-hmm. I can't. What else do I do? I don't feel like calling in the energy of the directions and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. 
I gave myself so much shit. And I was like, is my magic going to wane because of this? Mm. And eventually I was just like, something is better than nothing. And so mm-hmm. even if all my morning practices is look up at the clouds and just feel grateful for it all for just a minute, sometimes that's all the feel your body, you know, you need to make it through the day. And mm-hmm. you should be so proud of that. Yes. Yeah, I I had this issue too. Of, well, this least for me, I am very like, and I always see like TikToks about like first daughters. Like I'm first daughter and I'm really okay yeah i'm very like i have to have my shit together because at any moment and someone's gonna need me so, so i yeah i'm learning to like also be okay with i just can't do this today and it's a very hard lesson for me to learn because on the one hand i feel like and i'm getting better but i used to be like i'm a failure because i can't do this today i just must be a shitty person but i'm learning that that's not true because number one i could do it tomorrow and the people who really do care about me are like, oh, that's okay. And I'm like, wait, you guys are not all going to hate me and not love me anymore? They're like, absolutely not. I don't know where you got that idea. And I'm like, I don't know either. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I just think everyone's always going to be mad at me or disappointed. So- oh, friend. They are the same. <laughs> I like literally would be like, everyone's going to be mad, but I'll call. Whether it's like my sister or my mom or my dad or... A friend, and they'll be like, "Oh, okay, that's okay. You good?" I'm like, yeah, "I don't you think no problem. We'll talk to you later." I'm like, "But you're not mad." They're like, "Why would I be mad? Because you're tired." <laughs> right, right. I'm all with you. I feel so guilty when I wake up sometimes, and I've got a plan to talk with my mother, and I'm like, mm-hmm. "I'm so tired. Can we just talk in a few hours or something?" And she's like. I don't care. I just want you to get the rest that you need. And I'm like, but I don't want you to feel like I just value you or respect you. And would would we be, would we react the same way if other people came to us what they say? No. Right? Like, if my mom mom calls me and she's, I'm really tired. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. I'll talk to you later. Get a good rest. But I'm like, panicking i'm sweating i think everyone hates me like my brain knows it's wrong right right i was talking earlier to someone else about how much i'm learning from my own and other people's manifestations of their chronic illness Mm. and how much space a lot of them have like the ones that I've encountered, I'm speaking of them like objects, but I don't I don't mean to, but just the tactics that I've seen, even things like, hey, I might not respond to your email in a few weeks, in a couple of weeks, because I don't need to give you a reason, but mm-hmm. I will get to you when I get to you. Mm-hmm. And that sort of reminds me of going back to feeling crappy about like skipping parts of our like regular practices. Would you rather just go through the motions or do the thing wholeheartedly? If I'm just writing a gratitude list, this is something that's very recent. I do my gratitude journaling every morning. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm just looking around the room and just adding things. And is this making me feel freer? Is this me? No, it feels like an obligation. And I don't Mm -hmm. see how this is contributing to my spirituality and there are other ways I can express and embody gratitude but yeah. it's like why are we so rigid with ourselves sometimes you know 
That's a good question. I wonder sometimes what kind of, what conditioning was it? And I don't know if it's just like Western society. Sometimes they think that you must get everything done and it must be like this and you cannot deviate from the plan. And I feel like maybe that's part of it because then it's okay to just sometimes just not be able to do stuff and and tell people with kindness and love. And most of the people, well, everybody that gives a shit about you will also be okay with it. So I don't know what you know, happened in our brains sometimes where we feel like nobody is, where everyone's upset. I don't know. No, I, I get it. I I am working through my tendency to overly apologize. and same. But at the same time, I'm working on taking up I feel like my internet persona, not persona, but I am very honest about these things. And I have mm-hmm. found so much support from my community. And people have given me lots of strategies and motivation to be mm-hmm. gentler to myself. But it's a work in progress. It's not overnight. Like, I know tomorrow I am not going to be like, I don't know. There's something going to make me feel guilty. And mm-hmm. th- something I'll worry about tomorrow. I'll worry about that then. And what I can do, what it's magical for me, my magical solution, is to work on it the best way I know how in the capacity that I have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That, I think we all need to do a little work on that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's okay. We all just need to forgive ourselves a little bit and give ourselves a little more grief. It'll yeah. be it'll be good for all of yes. us. Oh, gosh, I love that. Oh, we could talk about this all day. I know. <laughs> I'm just like, let's just talk all day. Can you just stay online all day? Just talk that. with me. <laughs> so, okay, so we're going to go to our dish of the week which this week i was like what are we gonna do i don't know but i thought this was interesting so this was these are foods and again after this segment we're gonna talk about your book and then we'll go do some other stuff but so the so the name of this article is six comfort foods born out of historical times of discomfort which i thought was pretty interesting so when people are going through rough things this is what they tended to make or eat so one of them is called goetta. So goetta is made from scraps of pork and wheat. And this was happening in 17th century Pennsylvania, where there was a lot of German immigrants coming over. And they would make it, and it ends up being called something that a lot of people know, scrapple. I do not like scrapple, but some people do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it looks funny, but that's okay. And some places they call they use they put cornmeal on it and they call it liver mush, which actually sounds not appetizing at all. Liver <laughs> mush. Oh gosh. Okay. Going to your friend's house and they're like, "What do you want for dinner?" Like, whatever you're gonna cook. Oh yeah, I was thinking of cooking some liver mush. I'm like, I think I might be busy that day, but like my next time you have to the party, but we have an ex- I don't, I don't want a dish that has mush in its name. <laughs> That's how you know times were tough because they had liver mush and they just had to accept it. Oh no, sorry guys. Okay, so we have another one. This one is called Ran. Fanote, Ramfanote, which is looks like a bread pudding. This sounds, this sounds a little bit more appetizing. We had some nuts and some fruits in it. 
Also has some gar anise and cloves and some sugar. This is a dish that was made by a lot of Afro-Peruvians. And this is, they made it from whatever was around during the, during some hard times in Peru. They also said they made it a lot when Peruvian soldiers made it when they were fighting a war against Chile. Interesting. Okay. Mm, okay. All right. Tomato soup cakes. Mm, I don't want that either. Oh, <laughs> oh Lord. <laughs> I like, oh, I don't, okay. Oh, <laughs> this is something that was made in the 1920s. And at first they were just calling it mystery cake. Oh, I'm not oh, eating anything that is with Oh, no. Mystery <laughs> cake. Oh, no. <laughs> but it was like a cake that was made with condensed tomato soup. I don't know. That doesn't sound good. And they would put, they were trying to make like a, like a. <laughs> I just looked it up. I just looked it up. <laughs> no, thank you. They were like trying to pretend it was red velvet cake, I think, because they're putting like cream juice frosting on it. That's rude. Don't do that. Not red velvet. Don't do that to red velvet cake. That's such a heckle. So then we have, this one comes out of Tennessee. It's called doodle soup. Okay. So doodle soup is, it's just basically whatever. So like, it's like chicken. Like chicken ingredients, broth. whatever, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's like chicken, chicken broth, but with with vinegar and cayenne pepper and flour. Okay, that's fine. This is Great Depression soup, nah. basically. And there was Hoover soup. Stew, sorry, Hoover stew. And President Herbert Hoover, people didn't like him, so they. <laughs> So they made it like a stew that wasn't very appetizing and called it Hoover stew because they didn't like him at all. That's not nice, but it is fun. They're like, this is stupid. So we're going to name it after this president we don't like. Okay. Yeah. So it was just, and again, this is also like a whatever dish. They just put like corn, pieces of hot dogs and macaroni and some canned tomatoes in it and ate that. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And last but not least, we have Crumble Inn. So this is something that was made by some farm families from Southern Appalachia. And it was just like cornmeal and milk. Okay. And sometimes some buttermilk and sometimes some honey. And maybe they could put a little black pepper on it. Where's the, we need some protein in here. I don't see any, but well, I guess it was the Great Depression. So, protein was few and far between. Okay, so those are things you could eat when you're in times of discomfort. You probably don't want to eat those things, and that's okay, especially not the liver mush. But now, now we know that's some hysterical foods. Yay. Um, yeah. So, now I'm going to do my quick plug. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Dine with the Divine. If you want to continue to support us, you can like, follow, and share on any of the social networks. So that includes Instagram, Threads, TikTok, Facebook, and more recently, YouTube. Please, like I said, like, follow, subscribe, share, tell your friends. Every Thursday, you're going to hear the podcast. It's free on any 
podcasting network that you like to listen to. So thank you so much and continue to enjoy the show. Thank you. Okay. Next. Okay. So now we're going to talk about our tea time subject where we learn something. But first, Bria, I wanted to ask you what inspired you to write your book, which is Tarot for the Hard Work. Absolutely. So Mm -hmm. my book coming out January 8th, 2024, for those of you who don't know, is a practical anti-racism workbook I have done. It it is something I am very proud of and it's a spell for the world. I it it's for confronting racism and personal insight and prompting social change. I wrote over 60 essays and hundreds of activities and also separate exercises for building your own anti-racism toolkit that's customized to you and your community. This book did not start out as something that was supposed to be a book. I found that, so I grew up in Western Virginia. Um, Yes, it is everything you're thinking it is, you know, I I won't lie to you there, but... (laughs) There, it was just a lot of, at the time of ramping up toward the 2020 election, I just saw more displays of racism, whether that was covert or overt. We definitely saw the news gave us a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I felt overwhelmed. I was like, what can I do? What can I do in the mm. middle of nowhere? <laughs> and all of the, the few anti-racism groups in my town were all about how white people can become anti-racist. And mm-hmm. I am grateful for that. However, that was not for me. And mm-hmm. I wanted something to, not necessarily a guide, but a set of resources in which I could find ways to weave everyday actions, my everyday choices into this larger picture of a more ideal, a more free future. And so it, it again, just as this notebook of tarot cards, because tarot cards were something I was familiar with. I Mm -hmm. feel free within structure sometimes. And so I just went from the fool to the world. And honestly, practice embodying each of those archetypes in my everyday life and found a lot more confidence in my ability to contribute because so many people say, what can I do? And their work stops there. And this book is for anyone who like, what the hell can I do? I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in this big wild town and there's so many distractions all sorts of things. It's for it, it, it's it's for anyone who's asking what can I do, who might not have much time, much money, much energy, and maybe you do have all of these things, and that's great. And this book is for you too. But I didn't know what to do, and so I had this notebook of tarot archetypes and ways that I can embody them in sort of ways of. To be able to live in my truth wherever I was and to be an advocate, mm. not just for myself, but for other people and to recognize what privilege I had and, and what internalized racism I had. Mm. And so I worked through that and 
the, eventually it became a blog, which garnered a lot of attention, which was unexpected for me. I was just like, I, I felt like I needed to get out, get this out in the world. And mm-hmm. a reading from one of my tarot readers in the past huh, made that so apparent. And so I felt the motivation to get myself out there and to share this weird little project that I've been working on. And now it's a book. And it's it's a lot of what was what I have communicated before, but it's more things that like I wish I had the space to say. And more I just when you're writing in blog format or you're writing in in a journal, there's only so much you can really say before it becomes difficult to digest. Mm-hmm. This book, I think encompasses so much of what I want to say mm-hmm. in a way that is digestible, straightforward. I mentioned in the introduction that I'm like your guide, but I'm I'm going through this journey too. Mm-hmm. I don't know everything. I, again, am undoing internalized racism. I am doing the work alongside you. But I have worked with the tarot to do this work before. Let me show you how. And mm. from there, you can ideate your own ways of um, creating a more liberated future. Yes! I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I love yes. that. Yes! I was looking through your book. You asked a lot of really good questions. They made me think, too. I was like, hmm, I do, maybe I do think like this about this. I was like, I didn't even realize that I thought this way. I do really, I like the questions that you asked. And how you ask them and motivate us to think a little differently. I really, really love that. Okay. So this actually, we're recording this early, but this is going to come out right before your book. So I'm going to have links in the show notes, everybody, so you can check the book out. Yeah, and definitely order it because it's very, very good. It's very, very insightful. I really, really enjoy it. So next we're going to talk about, so you're talking about hard work. And we're talking about liberation and we're talking about all this good stuff. We're going to talk a little bit about different ways people can um, do activism. So I had some big concepts here, but I thought we can talk about little th- little things. Just like Maria was just discussing about her own book, how she talks about different ways you can do things that you don't have to put out a lot of energy, a lot of money if you don't have it. But you can support and, and do things to help your community and to help you put what you believe out in the world in a positive way without having to expend a lot of stuff. Sometimes I feel like sometimes people say, a lot of people say I don't have enough money, which I get that. Especially mm-hmm. like when it comes to Amazon, right? I know, I know I shouldn't order from Amazon because they're bad. They're, they're, I always read, I watched this video on Instagram the other day. I've heard it before and people are like, oh, you can't be a billionaire without murdering people. And I'm like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then this guy broke it down for me and I was like, (laughs) yeah, no one has to be a billionaire without exploitation or inheritance. And that goes for the billionaires that we like or, you know, the public perceives that's good. And that's just an honest truth that Mm. I, I said that. I was like, I posted something on Instagram and I was like, let's stop worshiping billionaires. And I like wrote a description around it and people got so mad at me. And I'm like, 
know. You don't know these people. You are closer to being on the street than you are to being a billionaire. We are way closer. Most yeah. of us are. Oh, don't don't be silly. These people are exploiting other people, or they've inherited inherited it. But given the fact that they're still a billionaire, like what are they doing with that money in a world that needs so much? And mm-hmm. when I was writing in my journal for like this whole anti-racist tarot stuff, I felt like money was one of my biggest like things. I was like, I'm at the food bank every week. I I barely have enough money to drive to get to work and back and all of my paycheck goes to my bills and I might have $15 left for myself. I mm-hmm. sure don't have a lot of money to drive to protest or, or to share in mutual aid. But there are so many other ways that we can contribute without going out of our ways. And like he said, Amazon, for example, I just want to note that by nature of living in a structurally racist capitalist system, we are all, unfortunately, we contribute to it in order to survive. And Mm -hmm. that's just, you know, something that we have to accept. And I think that when we get into the nitty gritty of judging people for, you know, finding, you know, affordable ways um, to take care of their kids, put clothes on their back and this and that. Like you judging these people is not helping anything. Let's look to the people who keep the system going because individual responsibility is, it exists, but you're not the police, you know? Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? You're going to, shit on me for doing this thing and what does that work make the world a better place no you know yeah. like we're doing the best with what we've got and that's the best we can do exactly oh amen because it's true sometimes i don't i live near walmart i do you think if i had tons of money i'd be giving more money to those walmart people no but i don't i have to shop at walmart i need detergent I can't, yeah, I sometimes I can't buy from Target. That's too expensive. So, <laughs> and sometimes it's, I gotta go to Walmart because it's cheaper. Yeah. And yeah, I like shopping at Target better, but like every dollar, so, like it counts and it adds up. Mm hmm. Yes. Okay, so this is, a, this is not off topic. This is on topic. But this is a story that my friend told me the other day that happened. Please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know the name of the movie. I will find it. There is this guy. And I believe he is, I forget his name, but I think there's this guy. And he funds this, I forget the name. Oh, I think it's, I think it's actually called Operation Underground Railroad, I believe it's called. So he funds this situation where he sets up these like sting operations or something in different parts, I believe different parts of the world. And it's to get, to stop human trafficking. So he's trying to saves people okay so generally that is a good thing right but the crazy part about it is he the way he funds this is he gets these millionaires and billionaires to basically be able to come so that they can play special ops during this yeah it's crazy during sting operation and then help save these people so he's getting money from these people right okay now Cold right here, okay? I have to go back to two years ago. Two years ago, I read this book, okay? And it's crazy. 
It's called I Am Not Your Slave. It is a book mm. about a woman from Namibia who is trafficked. She ends up all, she goes uh, all through, she goes to Sudan, then she then, she goes to Dubai, and then she ends up being okay at the end of the book. She ends up being all right. She gets back to Namibia. And it's just, she wrote her story and it's quite amazing. It's insane. But the thing about it is the people who are doing all that trafficking are billionaires. These people are outrageously rich. Just to them. Yeah. It, it's human trafficking is not cheap. You don't just buy somebody and it's not a lot of money. It, it's right. Right. Yeah. It's insane. So I'm thinking when my friend's telling me this story, I was like, billionaires, right? In the world, there's only so many. They all must know each other. It's not me and Maria. We don't know each other because we're in different places in the world because we're just normal people. Okay. <laughs> but if I had a billion dollars and Maria had a billion dollars, they probably know each other because we're one of like a hundred people in the world who have billions of dollars. Right. Hey, running in the same circles. Yes. So I'm thinking to myself when she's telling me this story, I said, I bet you some of the people who are going on these missions to be superheroes, quote unquote, know some of the people who are funding these traffickers. Like, when you really think about it, I'm like, they probably know them. If they really looked and went all through the pipeline of where the money came from, it's coming from these from oligarchs and billionaires in different countries all over the world. And I just thought that makes it even sicker and weirder that this is what these people are doing. I'm like, it's like Squid Games or something. Like, yeah. yeah, this is gross. I was not aware of this. This, ugh. I just yeah. looked it up on IMDb because I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. And it's, it has a high rating and all of this, but geez Louise, that's what you have to do to get people to have empathy enough to like end yes. modern day slavery? What? I it's nuts. And then, so it gets even further because there was, there was, okay, first of all, the main guy who does it, who's doing this operation, is Mormon. So um, I forget the whole story, but the Mormon church came out against him. And oh. they said, no, 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 we don't like this guy. So if the Mormon church is coming out against somebody, that's not good. Because they'd be protecting people. But they For said, real. Protect- yeah, <laughs> like, we can't protect this guy. And <laughs> they come to find out that he's being accused of sexually harassing his staff. And then somebody on one of these people that he took on the trip, one of these millionaires, billionaires, was also, I think, sexually assaulted one of the people you're trying to save. So it's fucking crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And then my friend was telling me about how there was like this woman, like people before they knew all this stuff, people were like obsessed with it. They thought it was so amazing, it was so good. And there was a woman who then was like working, I think it was Young Living, one of the MLM. She was like, I'm gonna get up to diamond status, whatever that is, and young women. MLMs, mm-hmm. which is also evil. I okay. Side note: I've been obsessed with MLMs and how crazy and awful they are. Me too. Me too. Me okay. too. I won't oh watch any documentary about them. Fascinating. It's fucking fascinating. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> they have cults. I believe they are cults. I do too. Especially when I was the Lululemon one. I was like, this is madness. And then I do listen to the Dream podcast. 
Ooh, what is this? It's, it's, you'll love it. It's a, it's all about MLMs. Oh, well, now I am going into this rabbit hole for a long time. I'm not going to be able to get anything done. This is, this is my kind of shit. And I think people don't realize how many things are cults. Like, they're not murdering anyone, but freaking mind it, control. It really is. It's so weird. And I feel bad. I know. I saw everybody rant, but I feel bad. I feel bad for people who get into MLMs the same way I feel. I shouldn't say feel bad. I feel empathy for people who get into MLMs the way I feel for people yeah. who get into cults. Because you have to be in a certain situation and a certain mindset at that time. For pe- People who get into MLMs are normally heterosexual cis women who have families and are trying to get money into their families. That's usually that's the most common population in these MLMs. So, right. And a lot of the time they feel like they have no other way of doing it. And they usually have children and they're thinking, wow, I want to stay home with my kids and I want to do this and that and help my kids. And that's why in Utah is like the center of MLMs of the world. Because mm-hmm. a lot of Mormon women think that they can do it from home. But then they suck you in. They never make money. Like 98% of these people do not make any money. They spend so much money. They end up in debt. And the whole time they're just trying to support their families. I think it's just right. so... I mean, it's so evil that anybody's, you know how we're going to, what we're going to do. We're going to take money from families. <laughs> you are taking food out of children's mouths. You, like, how gross. You, I know. Like, do you, how do these people sleep? I don't know. But, so, oh, back to where I was. I'm so sorry. So, there, there was a woman who was working for Young Living, and she made all this money so she could give it to this guy who was working at this Operation Underground Railroad. And I'm like, that's crazy. So use an MLM, which is evil, to fund this operation, which is seemingly good, but it's funded by evil people. I was like, this is all crazy. It's too much. It's too much. I'm so good for wealth, but let's confuse that. It's a bit it's a tangled web, but the, mm-hmm. the, the like underlying issue is, is the same. It's like unequal power distribution. Yeah. You know? And it, that's the issue at the heart of it all. And it, it has so many manifestations from mm-hmm. MLMs to trafficking, like mm-hmm. human trafficking. It's just, it's pervasive. And that's the truth about the world. No matter how love and light we want to be, that we have to acknowledge if we want to change it at all, is that there's uneven power distribution. There are a few people making a lot off of the backs of many. And mm-hmm. we there seem to be more and more billionaires given, I don't know, I, I just think I've heard of this. So yeah. more and more people are becoming billionaires and it's like, oh, it makes me so mad. And it's, if I had a billion dollars, if I had enough money, I knew I couldn't spend in my whole life. You know what I would do? Res- redistribute it because then I'm just hoarding. And I, I don't know. like hoarding. A billion dollars, what am I going to do with that? I'm saying, I'm sure you've done this. I do it all the time with my family. Oh, what would you do if you won money, right? Like a million dollars. And a million dollars, when I think about it, I was like, oh, you know, I pay off all my debts. And I pay off probably, like, my parents' debts. And I pay off my sister's debts. 
and then I just have the rest. And then a million dollars in that way wouldn't go that that far. But a billion? I don't know. After a few million, what am I doing? Like, I know this is why I have my theory that like this is why billionaires get weird. They're always into something weird. (laughs) (laughs) Something weird and unsavory. Because what do you do when you can do anything? You do something strange and unsavory, like where there's some weird shit going on and I feel like everybody's not consenting. That's why shit gets really dangerous and weird with billionaires. Because what else are you going to do with them something crazy? Right. What are you going to do when you can afford anything? And it's just like the realities that so many of us are chasing things that do not actually satisfy us. Because mm-hmm. when we're satisfied, we don't want more. Yeah. We are happy with what we have. If you are not, if you say you're satisfied, but you find yourself wanting more of the thing, then you're not actually satisfied. And that speaks to, I think, the level of just lack of empathy. Because if you feel like you don't have enough, and you can't see all around you what people who don't have enough to literally eat. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of myopic vision that is very dangerous for this world. And you're like me. Like the other week, my partner and I were talking like, what would you do if you won like a couple mi- of millions of dollars or something? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like you. I would like first pay off all my debt mm-hmm. to... I would take care of my people. Like, I want to make sure everyone's good. I'd pay off my family's debt and I'd remodel their house or do things that they need. And that's my first thought. And it's just so interesting that your first thought or your primary thought in, in having billions or even millions and millions of dollars is I'm going to keep it all to myself. Like, weird. Does, does sharing not make you feel good? Like, do you not like to share? Like, why do you hate sharing? What do to you? Are you all right? Like, yeah, wrong with you? You don't like making other people happy. You don't like making other people's dreams come true. It's not satisfying to you, but another yacht is. Go fuck yourself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I was talking to my fiance about this. Okay. Somebody buys a yacht. We were talking about Cristiano Ronaldo has a very, very large yacht. And we're like, okay, somebody buys a yacht. They're rich. Then you have to dock the yacht and that costs money. Then you need like a crew for the yacht. I'm just, I feel like also if I was a billionaire, also though, my cheapness would be like, this is just too much money outside of just the yacht. <laughs> I don't care if I have a billion dollars. Stupid. Like, <laughs> just, like, I'm just For what? And how often are you really going to be on that freaking yacht? I know. Come on. You're not going to, this is not every weekend sort of thing. These people buy these yachts and then they're on them a few times in the summer and then they just remain docked and it's useless. It's absolutely useless. And yes. oh, 
it just it just incenses me and it's like why would you why would you the things rich people do with their money man uh, it's just crazy yeah, yeah. i love how i'm like we're talking about acting with that and then we talked about billionaires how much we think they're silly yeah they're silly yeah. <laughs> three, and this is an important point that we need to make <laughs> Uh, it, it's bizarre, mm-hmm. and the more that we maintain the re- like, the more that we lean into and acknowledge and accept the fact that the things they do with their money are absolutely bizarre, often inhumane, and often mm-hmm. selfish. Quit normalizing billionaires. It's not yeah. fucking okay. Stop, mm, like celebrating that and it's difficult right because there are people who we might like public figures we might like who are billionaires and it's yeah you can like their music and you know go to their concerts mm-hmm. and stuff but you know remember that the system behind them exists and there's a lot of harm being done by it and mm-hmm. that you know as long as you realize that it's weird and wrong then you maintain the vision that there is something to be done about it. Mm-hmm. Once we just normalize it all, who cares? It's just like, yes, we live amongst billionaires. While San Francisco was like, I lived in San Francisco for a little while. And I, it, San Francisco, I think is like seven miles by seven miles, miles long, yeah. big. I don't know. But I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. 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 <laughs> It's 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 a very compact city. The bay is huge, but mm-hmm. the city is small. And so you have these tech millionaires and billionaires walking along streets with homeless encampments and stuff. And mm-hmm. the juxtaposition of the two just really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And if that does not bother you, then what information does that have about you and your relationship yeah. to these despots? I don't know. They're... <laughs> Their money, in a capitalist society, money is power and Mm -hmm. they're not distributing it. They're making the rules. They're making it hard for us. They're not doing the work that, you know, yes, great. You do a donation for this thing. Yes, you ask the poor people to support your donation fund for Hawaii or something. And it's yes, those things are true. And philanthropy is true. Mm -hmm. But. If you give and you still have a billion dollars left over or like millions and millions and millions of dollars yeah. left over, you're an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're an asshole. If you have a lot left, it's good to give. Like we're saying, it's good to give. That's fine. I, and I think people get this wrong about like capitalism. So I, there's, Making money is fine. You're allowed to make money. But right. when it's on, yeah, but when it's on like the backs of other people, it's bad. That's just a fact. If you're just like a person who, okay, like Maria, if you're just like, she's a tarot card reader and she works hard being a tarot card reader. She's written a book. She works hard doing her other work and she made a lot of money. Great. Because she's just doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I, hope, I, I, can, I can dream of a life of financial abundance. <laughs> But, but like, I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's fine. When people are like, oh, and so and so is a self-made millionaire. Okay, but then even you think about products, how they're made, who's actually making them. 
what those people are going through, how they're getting paid. That's when all the problems start. So it's okay to make money. Nobody think can't have money. But once you have that level of money, there's no way you did it without exploiting other people. That's it. It's just a fact. Nobody can get the billion dollars from being in their house and they're a virtual assistant. It's just not going to happen. Just a fact. And that's because, Maria said earlier, too, because of the way things are set up, you can only get so far without exploiting people. It's just a fact. And it sucks. Yeah, you can work your ass off getting promoted over and over Mm -hmm. again. You could be at the end of your career and reach the peak of your career achievements or all of that. Mm -hmm. But, like, you're still not as rich as the person who is, you know, signing your paychecks. Yeah. There's this sort of mentality that, you know, if you work hard, you can be just like the rich people. Mm-hmm. And that's not that's not true. Like, I, I think billionaires are some of the least hardworking people on our planet. I was just and about to say that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're telling me hard work makes you rich. Maybe it can, but more likely it's going to be off the labor of other people. And it's going to often be for as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. And and without regard to all of the other things that make life worth living, don't you want the people who are making you rich to live lovely lives where they yeah. feel free and taken care of and have enough time to see the sunset? Oh. I know, right? Like, you people who are that rich, you get to do anything you want. And everybody else is just, can I have clean water? and food to feed myself and the people I care about and a place to live that is uh, safe and time to think about life's meaning. Like, that's what they want. What are you asking? Right. Right. No. <laughs> Work, like, totally impede self-actualization so many times because it's you're just focused on getting through the day. By the time you're done, you're freaking tired. You, mm-hmm. and, and you do the same thing. You watch TV, you have dinner, repeat. And I know, I I was going to say I think, but I know it's the system is it's designed to tire us. So we don't rebel and we don't Mm -hmm. fight back. And like I said, no matter how many hours you put in your job, you're you're just even if you become the CEO. okay, and what and what what does this say about your life? How many people did you help? How many people did you change and transform and love? Imagine all of the love you could give and just keeping it in a bank account. I know. Oh, I love that. Oh, that made me feel good. Yeah, you said that. (laughs) I'm like, oh, all the love we could give. I don't have a big bank account, but I can give it. Oh, Oh, God. We're just going to, we talked about millionaires today, guys. Sorry about the activism part. You could do, I have articles you could read. Oh, well, we decided to talk about billionaires. And that's okay, because that was a fun conversation. I love talking. <laughs> See you, Maria. This is, this is so fun. Okay. So now we're yeah. going to our last, our last section, which is story time. The story is nice and quick. So don't worry. We won't be here for too much longer. It just reminded me of doing, speaking of liberation and speaking of using kind of magic in, in trying to help yourself. The Gullet Jack was doing all these things. So... Let me tell you the story of Gullard Jack. So Gullard Jack was a conjurer and a rebel 
And he was born in Eastern Africa during the final quarter of the 18th century. So he was what they, he think, they think he was a native of Mozambique. He was captured and taken to Zanzibar and then sold to a man with the last name Kingsley. I cannot say his first name. In 1805. So when he was captured to be put into the slave system, he was, he possessed a bag of conjuring implements and he said that he had been a priest where he was from. So they said that Jack ended up in this plantation in Eastern Florida. Um, and then it was purchased by this other man named, um, from Charleston named Paul Pritchard in 1806. And Jack worked there as a caulker. So Jack, because he was a caulker and because he was really good at his job, a lot of this, his owner, his owners, masters, they let him do little things. So they let him go out without following him all the time. And they gave him a little bit more room to do a little bit more stuff than some of the other slaves were allowed to do. He was single. He had his own little room. And they, quote unquote, trusted him, right? Because they're like, oh, he's a whatever. They probably said he's one of the good ones or whatever. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I can't colonize it. So, uh, the worst so they were like oh he's really good at his job he's really great he doesn't bother anybody but unbeknownst to the slave owners and the white the wealthy white people in the town they didn't know that jack was out here helping anybody who could he would go to the different plantations he would help the slaves there if they needed different kinds of magic he would make conjure bags for them he would do whatever they, what he could to help other people. He even had a church that he started. And actually, both blacks and whites would go to the church because they said that Jack was really, really good at his job. They said he was a magician. He was a doctor. He would help people with whatever they needed, healing, divination. And they even said that he had a lot of supernatural control. Also, everybody probably knows this, but just to reiterate the fact that nobody... These African religions or these, this magic stuff was illegal. He wasn't supposed to be doing it. But he, he was so helpful that people just let it and they let it slide. Um, but in 1817, Jack befriended this guy who was a revolutionary and a self-emancipated carpenter named Denmark Vesey. So Denmark Vesey was like, whoa, okay, so you're super magical and I'm super free and I want to fuck shit up. So <laughs> Vesey was like, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, sounds good. See, yeah, Vessi was like, he was, he was ready to just mess up everybody, and he told Jack, Jack, since you're super powerful and you've got all these conjure bags, do you think you can help me? And Jack was like, no problem, I'm gonna help because I also hate this shit. So in June 1818, they were like, let's get together and chat. So they got together, they chatted. And they were like, we're going to start the largest slave revolt ever because we don't have time. So they started to gather all the all these other all these other people that they thought they could trust. And they started telling them the plan. So now it's 1822 and they're like, OK, we're going to we're going to put this plan out. So. Because he was the magician, he was the one to equip everybody with different conjure bags and whatever he thought they needed. So Jack then, he, even in, in the spring of 1882, he stopped working so much because he wanted to put all his energy into this insurrection. He was so excited about it. 
So then Jack also somehow, he's so clever, he acquired a powder keg. Wow, okay, I don't know how you got that. That's good. Um, (laughs) And he got a bunch of bins. So even though they planned really, really carefully, unfortunately, one of the people that they were planning with went told on them and betrayed them. So now Monday, June 17th, 18, I think you're still in 1822, they went and they got they captured Bessie because they've heard about the plan. So Jack was able to stay underground for a while. And a lot because he was so popular and a lot of people liked him, they would hide him. But then Bessie was unfortunately um, killed July 2nd. And Jack was still, he was really, really scared. So he tried to get out of there. But then July 5th, he was captured and he was put on trial. So Jack quickly tried his best to defend himself, but he was a black man in 1822 with no legal representation. So it didn't mm-hmm. work well. And people were like hoping, oh, maybe he could use his magic. But it just at that point was like, he knew that it was the end of what was going to happen for him. So he and Jack on the stand denied having any magical powers. And, and he's all, I didn't, I didn't help in the conspiracy. Obviously, he's going to say that because he doesn't want to die. But unfortunately... It was long for Jack. So on July 9th, the authorities sent him to death and they said this about Jack. They said, in the prosecution of your wicked designs, you were not satisfied with resorting to natural or ordinary means, but endeavored to enlist on your behalf all the powers of darkness and employed for that purpose the most disgusting memory and superstition. You represented yourself as an invulnerable. You boasted your chart. Your charms have not protected yourself. Your altars and your gods have sunken together in the dust. So that's what the judge said. Jack never gave anybody up. He never said anybody else helped him. He said it was just me and Bessie, and Bessie had already died at that point. Then they left him in this, what's called a a poorhouse. They left him in the poorhouse for days. They locked him up. It's hot there, but... And then in the July 12th, they took him and they, they murdered Jack. Unfortunately, mm. but he was always remembered for having resisted, having helped all these other slaves, and they never forgot about him. And that's the story of Bella Jack. He did his best to help, um, and he did actually help a lot of people in his lifetime um, with healing and whatever else they needed. But tried to do a slave rebellion, it didn't work. But we still like Jack because he was doing his best. Wow, I. What's not familiar with that story? I yeah, me either. Wow, <laughs> wow, what a hero! And I'm sorry that he his life ended that way, but wow, what a wonderful example of someone who blended spirituality and activism. Yeah, I love that. Me too. Hey, up, Jack? Oh gosh. So. That is the end of our story time. And that brings us now to the end of our show. So, Maria, this has been so, so, so much fun. And I'm just so thankful that you came on and talked. And if you want, if you could tell the people where they can find you online so they can follow you and all your wonderful work. Absolutely. So you can find me at Instagram, on Instagram, (laughs) at Feminist. So it's... F-E-M-I-N-N-I-S, which my last name is Minnis. So <laughs> there you go. I share some perspectives on tarot, 
and social justice. And we look at not just the major arcana, but also the minor arcana as well. You can find my website at mariaminis.com. You can find me, I guess, by the time this episode airs, my podcast, Which Should I Do, will be back up and running. And ooh, there we'll talk about kink and the tarot, tarot in everyday situations, tarot in the news, and also just everyone's favorite section is answering listener questions from other witches. Yay. So that's coming up. Um, excited to release that. Our first episode is about uh, R. Who am I talking about? It's just me. That's um, what I do all the time. I always say me. It's just me. I know. I do the same thing. It's fine. Well, I'm going to say R, but um, it, it's monthly and it is, um, it's a lot of fun. And I think that it's, it's going to be a good time. And of course, my book comes out January the 8th, 2024, Tarot for the Heart book. I invite you to pre-order. I, I just, I just want to read this description of the book, which yeah. I my editor put together and really felt like it resonates with mm -hmm. the book. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tarot has always been a powerful guide for introspection and inner work. So what better tool to use when we're ready to do the really hard work? Author Maria Menes takes a radical new look and, at the major arcana in this tarot workbook, which provides readers a unique personal understanding of systemic racism and what steps we can take to begin to dismantle it. This is a book for anyone who has been overwhelmed, outraged, or frustrated and asked, what can, but what can I do? This book, you don't have to be a tarot reader. I've, I, this is the guide to tarot that I wish I had. Yeah. Uh, there's, you can definitely get to know the archetypes and the archetypes are the structure behind the work, uh, behind the book, but you don't have to know tarot. You don't have to care about tarot. And if you, you don't have to be a good tarot reader. You don't have to be a bad tarot reader or bad. What's, what's bad and good? <laughs> this is for literally anyone who has asked, what can I do to confront systemic racism? And I am so proud of it. And I invite you to come along with me because I'm going along the journey. My journey is lifelong. And I hope that... This book, which is a spell out into the world, can can ripple out in ways that really, really help liberate people from all of the things and the messages that we are being held down by. Yay! Okay, so this is awesome. So I'm going to put links to everything in the show notes, Maria's website and everything. So everybody follow her, listen to her podcast, get her book. And I have to say, I really enjoy your Instagram. It's very, first of all, you're just, you're beautiful. You're very, oh, yeah. <laughs> you're like, I'm like down creepy saying this. I'm like, you're easy to look at, but you're just so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I, that's so nice of you to say. I feel like a smushed frog <laughs> half of the time, but you, I do like to share about my personal life on Instagram because magic is in the everyday. And sometimes I want to talk about my boobs and mm -hmm. how that do relates it. to magic and whatever. And yeah, so, so thank you for being there. It's, it's not just the tarot profile. It's, it's 
magic in everyday life. And I use my life as an example for other people. So thank you for being there and enjoying it. I I just throw stuff on there and I'm glad I'm glad it resonates with people. Yes, it's super fun and interesting and I really enjoy it. And you'll enjoy it too. So follow. Um so everybody, again, thank you, Maria. And thank you everybody for listening. Again, this is Dying with the Divine. We're on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Threads. Um, if you like the show, give us a rating. It's really helpful. Give us a review, even more helpful. And if you have any suggestions or anything you want to say to me, you can email me at dyingwithadivinepod at gmail.com or you can message me on one of those apps. I will get back to you, I promise, at some point. And if you want to follow me, Ashley, I'm at Sankofa, H-S, that's S-A-N-K-O-F-A-H-S and Sankofa Healing Sanctuary on Facebook. Thank you so much once again. And everybody there, Maria, anybody listening, everybody have a fantastic week, and I'll see you next week. Goodbye.